0: Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and the Dnieper Natural History Programming Fund for KNME-TV. And viewers like you.
1: This week on New Mexico in Focus, our land follows the cleanup of jet fuel that leaked from Kirtland Air Force Base into the water below Albuquerque.
2: I think it's incumbent upon us who live here, who hope to stay here, um, that we know that what the Air Force is saying is actually taking place.
1: And the state gets ready to celebrate its first official Indigenous Peoples Day. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. We have a great conversation this week with three Native artists and activists about their plans for Indigenous Peoples Day. For years, we've heard about the the just-over-the-horizon challenges of managing an aging population boom, particularly here in New Mexico. That horizon is right in front of us now, and one advocacy group has some bold ideas for our legislature to meet it. It's been so noisy politically near and far, you may have missed that Ben Ray Lujan, in his quest for the Democratic nomination for the open Senate seat left by Tom Udall, raised a million dollars at the recent deadline. Maggie Toulouse-Oliver is working to keep pace, certainly, as the money flowing to all candidates seems to indicate the Democratic primary is the race to watch. We begin with the Supreme Court decisions that have reaffirmed the power of the Public Regulation Commission. You've heard us talking at this table about the Energy Transition Act, the massive bill passed by lawmakers and signed by the governor this year that paves the way for p to recover costs of shutting down this coal-fired San Juan generating station in the Four Corners. It also sets out aggressive renewable energy standards as well, something we talked about here a bunch, as well as providing millions for retraining workers in those same Four Corners areas. All right, good stuff. The problem... Is that the new law sidesteps state regulators, namely the PRC or the Public Regulation Commission? The PRC has its own timeline to deal with the power plant shutdown, and it started before the new law passed. Now, Recently, the state Supreme Court affirmed that it's the PRC's choice whether to consider the new law handling the shutdown, leaving everyone from people with electric bills to coal miners to CEOs in a little bit of a limbo status, and that's how the table is set. Speaking of which, joining me today on the Line Opinion Panel, four familiar people who have all agreed to read up on the topics this week and offer their insights, attorney and Line regular Sophie Martin giggling over there. She always knows what's up though, don't worry. Uh, Andy Lyman's here. He joins us. He's a reporter with the New Mexico Political Report. Thank you, Andy. Former New Mexico House Minority Whip and another Line regular Daniel Foley fist pumping here and editorial page editor of the Santa Fe New Mexican newspaper, Inez Russell Gomez. Always great and you can make it down from Santa Fe. Now, so, Briefly, does it seem like the governor and the legislature were a bit hasty passing this law? Just a real simple question, because there were a lot of things you could see coming down the road, we're going to get to in a second, that makes this decision kind of interesting. What's well, I think it that?
3: depends on who you ask, okay. like, because there were several iterations of um, this bill over over several years, point. Fair trying, point. To get, um, trying to get changes in terms of the state's um, prioritizing of renewable energy, for instance, mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think, though, that what's, what Bears are sort of considering is this is one of the first bills in the country mm-hmm. that does that does what this bill is trying to do, and you would expect, I think, a certain amount of stop and start at the beginning of the process. We're mm-hmm. still very early in the life of this piece of legislation. That's right. And yes, there are going to have to be parts of it that sort of get figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think was interesting, though, is that um, two different groups went, both PNM and New Energy Economy went to the Supreme Court. Um, essentially saying, give me my way, Mm -hmm. and the court said, look, we have, well." and I shouldn't put words in their mouths because their orders were very brief, Mm -hmm. but essentially the effect of those orders was to send it back down to the PRC. That's right. Um, We do have an entity who is tasked with dealing with these issues, and Mm -hmm. so it looks like that's what it will be doing. It seems pretty simple on the surface, Inez. I mean, they're
1: the governing body for these things. How do we get to this point where we have to have a Supreme Court decision to say, let's just have the folks who need to handle this handle this? That's where we're at now.
4: Well, because it depends what law you handle it under. Ah. The governing body isn't just able to do whatever it wants. There's a constitutional amendment, obviously, that set up the Public Regulation Commission. Mm -hmm. But the power they have to regulate in some degree is given to them by the legislature and can be taken away by the legislature. Mm -hmm. And what the legislature did in passing the Energy Transition Act and the governor in signing it was say here's how we would like you to proceed in your important job of regulation. Mm -hmm. The PRC, by using, um, when p the utility company that's at the center of all of this, filed its docket, Mm -hmm. there was one in December of 2018, they said no, we want to consider it under that law, Mm -hmm. not the new law. So it's really a matter of when do you consider the big issue, which is the decommissioning of the San Juan Generating Plant. At issue is getting away from coal, moving to renewable energies, And in the process, helping the cities that are going to be affected by this move. Mm -hmm. And I think as we let the process work itself out, which it's going to have to, because Sophie's exactly right, a new law is going to have some hiccups. Mm -hmm. Um, In July, they're going to start laying off people who work in coal. Ah. And if this doesn't get resolved fairly soon, the money that's available under the act is not going to go there. Oh, really? No, because it's. All part of this big act. So if Good you're point. not considering the securitization, which is how you fund it, right. under the new law, P&M can't just go hand out dollars. They're a regulated industry. Gotcha. They don't have that autonomy, even if they wanted to, which right. they probably don't because they want to keep it. You know, that's why I you know, shouldn't put words they, in P&M's mouth. I hear but you. Yeah. I think <laughs> the, go- the state has to look at now, and this is like Workforce Solutions, mm-hmm. the governor, those people. Is there another pot of money to kind of build... The gap
1: I see. before
4: you go on to whatever happens next.
1: Wow, that's interesting. There's a lot to consider there. A lot to consider there. Daniel, the idea there's a backdrop to this as well. Interestingly, and that is, in the same session that we passed this ETA, we've also decided we're going to have this body, the PRC, move from an elected body to an appointed body, and that's going to happen in January 2020. So we've got a bit of a collision course headed towards each other. What are you? I'm not asking for a prediction here. But is this set up for a for a mess here? Or do you uh, find is there some wiggle room here for the PRC to get through?
0: Well, I think before PRC, that
3: yeah, happens, I, I, in I, mean, I think it's going
0: to be a tough. It's a tough road to hoe if you're you know the people who are going to possibly be regulating you are telling you they're not happy with what you're doing, and now you're fighting mm-hmm. what they're telling you. It's almost like telling your soon-to-be future boss that you don't like him, right. and Then he becomes the new boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's you know look I, the, when we passed the PRC and created the PRC, I said God help us when they figure out how powerful they are. <laughs> Um, you know, as we were talking before we started, I mean, they're like the Railroad Commission in Texas. I mean, Mm -hmm. they they literally have their hands in everything. Um, You know, and the, the sad part is that when you look at these situations with, in my opinion, with PNM, dealing with the PRC. PNM has done a phenomenal job of going to the PRC when it benefits them, going to the legislature when it benefits them, going to the courts when it benefits them, going to advocate groups when it benefits them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody seems to be wrapped up into a lather and the one who seems to to win every time is Mm PNM. So, you know, it's it's a tough deal. The PRC has been, I mean, I've, I've said, you know, we were talking earlier, I've said this whole separation between staff and the commissioners right. and the You've staff been very represents strong about that. the people, yep. it just yep. it makes no sense to me and I think it leads to exactly the situation we're in right now which is you know you get this turnover on the PRC, you get an unbelievably you know it's, it's a, such a small organization with such diverse areas that they represent because I mean you start going down to southeastern New Mexico where it's all co-ops they have no desire to deal with P&M, and the stuff that affects p and usually is counterintuitive to what the co-ops are wanting to do. There's just, it's hard to get a, a consensus with that, that organization. Yeah.
1: By the way, quick correction, I'm ignoring my own notes in front of me. That was a constitutional right. amendment. Thank you, for, I could yeah. feel your brain exploding there. I know. sorry about that, I appreciate that. Andy, in your own publication, interesting quote that Kendra grabbed here, and that is from the New Energy Economies noted a second ago, Executive Director Mariel Nanasi. She announced that court decision to a panel discussion on Santa Fe on Tuesday passed, quote, we believe the ETA is unconstitutional, especially in regards to the eviscerating the regulatory authority of the PRC. PNM faces no competition. In exchange for that, they are to be regulated. That is the regulatory compact. If you remove that regulatory oversight, no one is protected.
5: Interesting point there.
1: Kind of flesh out what she was getting at there, if, if you would.
5: Um, you know, I, I, well, I, again, I don't want to put words in sure. her mouth, but... Uh, really? I think that is a concern from a lot of people, and it always has been. Now we have PNM and the gas company, right? But um, right. for a long time and even going forward, there's this thing, this concern. Just like any other regular, uh, any other uh, utility, is do we have choices to, to use this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of like we as voters. I guess, I think there's an argument that we as voters get to sit back and watch this happen, and we're just going to pay the rates, I mean, right? It's like uh, it's we leave it up to the commission to make these decisions for us. And we're going to have to pay the rates, regardless.
1: You know, Sophie, the idea that uh, the ratepayer, this this you know faceless, you know nameless thing that we all all are, (laughs) right? Exactly. You know where is their voice in this? It, it, do you see what I mean? Suddenly the ratepayers like you guys are gonna have to pay for this. You guys are gonna have to pay for that transmissions line. Well, I think that's at the heart. The I think that's places. at the
3: heart of the heartache here because yeah. because essentially, um, new energy economy and this sort of cluster of organizations that they that they are working with mm-hmm. are saying. You know, in theory, at least, the PRC is the voice of the rate right payer. Mm-hmm. They are an elected body. I mean, never mind that I think that, that for many voters, they think less about the PRC than they do about their local school board. But mm-hmm. um, they are the elected body that is, at least in theory, supposed to represent the rate right payer in these, in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And the the fear, the concern is that, um, the PRC, if the PRC was not to have a real voice in in how the San Juan closure, for instance, happens, mm-hmm. um, and the the financial impact on the taxpayer and the mm-hmm. ratepayer, mm-hmm. um, that that voice is then lost. Gotcha. Essentially.
0: Yeah. So, Sylvia, so I just want to ask you, and I'm not being a smart when I ask mm-hmm. you this. I, See, that's the problem I've got. Is I don't believe it's the PRC that's supposed to represent the rate payer. It's the staff that's supposed to represent the rate payer versus the utility. And the PRC guys are, sh- p- folks are supposed to be like the the judges. They're supposed to not have these mm-hmm. ex parte mm-hmm. communications. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, gotcha. so you got the staff that's supposed to represent the rate payer. The, you know, you got the mm-hmm. PN that's asking for what they want. And then you got this group of people that are made up of. Average everyday citizens that are supposed to be the final ruling body, mm-hmm. without talking to the staff or talking. There's at least
3: some three. accountability with the PRC in theory with you elections. Would hope, with right.
0: elections yeah. right? No, you would hope. On paper, you would That's hope. Right. And then you know, and then we've got the whole, you know, the whole situation where you've got folks you know that are getting the public financing to run for the PRC, right. which some will say is good, some will say is bad. You got. You know, the regulated utilities aren't supposed to give money, but I mean, it's, just, it's just a whole... What do you think the voters are going to be on this? I think the on voters this? have no idea. I think they're—I yeah. think the voters are... I think Sophie's right. I think you go to any voter and say PRC, they're like, ugh. I don't think they know what they do. They don't understand it. Right. Anybody that you talk to that's a voter that's had a dealing with the PRC, I don't know anybody that's come back that said, that is an unbelievably efficient form of government. Those guys do a phenomenal job. <laughs> anybody that's had the deal with them comes back and goes, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Let me ask Aynas the
1: same question. This is hanging out there now for voters to chew on. And they're seeing, as these guys are saying, some seeing the PRC as a watchdog and some as the enemy. Where's the voter fit in on this for this constitutional amendment?
4: I think a lot of it depends on how you make your case. And it's hilarious to me that New Energy Economy is now calling PRC the watchdog (laughs) because that's a group that is pretty much disagreeing with every decision that they make Mm -hmm. on PNM. Noisily, yes. And the PRC... (laughs) has approved all of those awful investments that PNM has made, all of those terrible decisions, all the things that they should now supposedly pay for right. were endorsed by one form of the PRC or another. That's right. So you're telling the utility company now you need to pay us back for all these bad choices you made, which we agreed with now, but now we want you to. So it's just the whole thing is so complicated. That's right. I think that if you can make a case to voters that regulation is huge, complicated and hard, and that if we want to be nimble in our economy, we need smart, fair, and educated on the issues, not just college educations, but regulatory issues, mm-hmm. people, and that if you can have a regulatory process that doesn't put all the power to the governor, all the power to the legislature, and can screen people, so that maybe every appointment is like Doug Howe, who is perhaps Susanna Martinez's best appointment, a former PRC member, That's right. and you have people who can do their jobs well. And then perhaps restructure it a little bit, as the legislature is also talking about doing Mm -hmm. through laws next session, so that you have more staff, more help in actually getting out and finding the information they need to make decisions. Mm -hmm. We could have a body that will work, even if it isn't directly elected by the voters.
1: There's your marching orders, folks, right there. We'll keep an eye out on this, but we're out of time for now. When this group returns, we're talking pure politics and the race for Tom Udall's Senate seat.
6: At first I was a bit turned off. I was just like, well, isn't it obvious they're doing the eagle dance? Yeah, but what does this mean? And I was kind of a bit standoffish. I said, well, it's blessings for all. And then and then she kind of had a look like, I'm not getting any information out of this person. And then she said, well, I'm, ans- I'm asking this question for my children, these little ones. And they have these little bright eyes. And they were looking at me like they just wanted to know And I said, oh my gosh, this is my chance to educate.
1: We've been covering the discovery of toxic chemicals in the water below two Air Force bases in the state, Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis and Holloman in Alamogordo. On this month's episode of Our Land, we look at a different case of groundwater pollution from a third base in the state, Kirtland Air Force Base right here in Albuquerque. Their cleanup is underway of jet fuel pollution from a half century ago. Here's an environmental correspondent, Laura Paskus.
7: New Mexico's history with the U.S. military predates even statehood in 1912. That relationship intensified leading up to World War II and then during the Cold War. Today, the state and the military seem forever entwined. But as times have changed, so too has what we know about how labs and the military bases impact our land, our air, and our water. Kate Linus advises Kirtland Air Force Base on cleaning up its pollution. Back in
8: 1953 when we built our fueling facility that fuels our airplanes here, They weren't exactly thinking about groundwater contamination or leaking pipes or anything like that. It was the 50s and people really just didn't understand it. In
7: 1999, employees noticed stains in the soil around jet fuel tanks at Kirtland. They ran pressure tests and notified the New Mexico Environment Department. It came out then. For 40 years, jet fuel had been leaking into the ground and seeping 500 feet below to the aquifer that supplies water to New Mexico's largest city.
8: Well, ethylene dibromide, or EDB, because who wants to say ethylene dibromide a lot, right, was that lead scavenger in aviation gas. And it's, it's, it, it's very water soluble. It doesn't like to you know, attach to soil. Bacteria don't like to eat it. And so when it gets in water, it doesn't like to go into vapor phase. It just wants to run with the water. That's just
7: what it did. Today, that plume lies beneath Albuquerque and the Air Force Base, stretching over a mile long. There are about 150 monitoring wells to track the plume and make sure that cancer-causing toxins don't reach water pumped for drinking. Diane Agnew is the Albuquerque Water Utility Authority's Environmental Manager. The plume is... Um, The aerial aerial extent of it goes from the Air Force base, so if you're looking at it from the airplane where those giant white tanks are, the plume is just a little bit north of those, not too far. And it goes all the way off base into um, not quite Catherine, and it's west of Louisiana and east of San Mateo. Since 2015, the Air Force has been treating the plume north from the base, under the Ridgecrest neighborhood. Government wells pump the water and pipe it here to the Bulk Fuels facility. Filters clean the water, then return it to the aquifer through injection wells or use it to irrigate the base's golf course. That process has reduced pollution in the northern portion of the plume. South of Ridgecrest, it's a different story.
8: The plume of contamination that's south of Ridgecrest actually has more constituents in it than just ethylene dibromide. We track it based on benzene mostly. The benzene moved with the groundwater until the bacteria really started to get to it and kind of slowed it. But we have a lot more contaminants in the groundwater, in the soil, and in the vapor here as compared to that one constituent off base. Um, Maggie Hart Stebbins is a
7: Bernalillo County Commissioner. She also sits school. on the board of the Water Authority, which has already spent more than a million dollars on technical support and staff time spent following the cleanup process.
2: So I represent um, the neighborhoods that, are, that surround the Air Force Base and so they have clearly had concerns about how, what's the health impact to their neighborhoods. Is there contamination in the water? Is there a way that, that there are fumes that might be affecting their health?
7: No one is drinking the contaminated water. The city doesn't pump water for its system from those areas it knows are polluted. But the Water Authority wants more information from the Air Force.
2: We had this honeymoon period where the Air Force was making all of the data available um, to um, certainly to our experts at the Water Utility Authority. And we do have some concerns over the last year, the last 18 months, that um, it seems that access to the data is being um,
7: being closed down. The Water Authority is not a regulator. It can't tell the Air Force what to do. We all support the Air Force's efforts
2: to do this properly and quickly. But we want to be able to
7: verify what's happening. And if we don't have access to the data, um, that's not possible. Hart-Stebbins wants to make sure the plume is shrinking and that hard data from monitoring wells shows it, as opposed to models or forecasts. I
2: think it's incumbent upon us who live here, who hope to stay here, Um, that we know that what the Air Force is saying is actually taking place.
7: She adds, and the Air Force says too, that the relationship between the military and the community has had its ups and downs. But they both say everyone has the same goal, cleaning up the contamination. Linus says the military is cleaning up the water to what are called no detect levels. But the Water Authority is still worried.
8: There is this
7: area between non-detect and the federal standard. We want non-detect. That's where we're most confident. Our position is that our customers shouldn't have to drink any amount of ethylene-dibromide. The authority has said publicly it won't serve water containing EDB to its customers, and it shouldn't have to clean up a military fuel leak that started in the 1950s. We're learning more all the time about our groundwater and about the chemicals that can pollute it, whether EDB or other emerging contaminants. We also know that as the climate warms and our water challenges intensify into the future, protecting every drop matters, whether it's drinking water or not. For New Mexico in Focus in Our Land, I'm Laura Pascas.
1: Thanks to Laura Pascas for that report, and by the way, Laura and the R-Land team just won a grant from the University of Colorado to cover more water issues, so look for that in future episodes. Now the race to fill outgoing Democratic Senator Tom Udall's seat is heating up, and it's the Democratic primary race that has the most focus, in part because the two candidates currently hold public office, New Mexico Congressman Ben Ray Lujan, as you know, and Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. Now, Congressman Lujan announced His million-dollar take as soon as the books closed, literally, before his opponent's disclosure and and well in advance of the October 15th filing deadline. We're going to take the unexpected tack here, Dan. These may be Democrats, but a campaign's a campaign. Does Ben Ray's disclosure project, you know, does it project confidence or is it something else here with this early
0: here's where we are financially thing? So, you know, when you're running for the state, when you're running for the U.S. Senate or when you're running for a statewide office in New Mexico, It takes money. I mean, you're talking about four different, five different media markets. You're talking about Amarillo, El Paso. You're talking about Arizona. You're talking about, you know, Colorado, Albuquerque, the statewide stuff. If you don't have the money to get on the TV and get your name out there, um, you know, I think, you know, a guy like Ben Ray Lujan has a very good New Mexico name. Um, You know, I think a Maggie Toulouse Oliver is going to have to spend a significant amount of money to get her name known in places, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the the even being secretary of state yeah he's got to spend uh, get some attention. name recognition nobody okay. pays attention to secretary of states so we're one of the only states that secretary of state isn't a step you know you go to other states and people run for secretary of state then run for congress right. or run for governor That's quite right in new mexico it's it's not seen as as the stepping stone mm-hmm. um i think it's huge that he's raised the money i mean to have that kind of money um you know for someone running for the u.s senate i mean clearly it's got to send an unbelievable, which I find interesting as someone who's clearly not a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talking about the battle of progressives, and I've never perceived Ben Ray as a conservative Democrat. Right. Um, he may not be as liberal as what the progressives want, sure. but I don't think anybody would refer to him and say, well, he's a fairly conservative Democrat. So I think it's interesting to see this battle, you know, when you see Eric Griego's comments about, you know, an insider versus someone who's more of a progressive I mean, I just, I just wonder at what cost the progressives are going to to inflict upon themselves going into legislative races and other races going forward. Let me turn that to Andy real mm-hmm. quick. That's an interesting thought there, that progressive
1: thing. Mm-hmm. Let's take one example. I think they're both sort of on the same side about impeachment of this president, so there's not necessarily a difference there. Do you know what I mean? In, in New Mexico terms, how much is progressive a, a handicap or a a help on these things for state ride
5: race, Well, I think the impeachment thing I think now they're they're both sort of there, but for yeah. a while, um, Representative Luhan sort of held back and was a little bit more strategic about it, and maybe that is because he's an insider. I'm not really sure what the the reasoning was, but right. um, there's they both have advantages, sure. so um, Secretary of State uh, Toulouse Oliver gets to say, this is what I would do when I was in the Senate. And look at what he's doing now in the House. And he kept saying, just trust me, let's hold off on this. So Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, I. It's hard to say who's going to be more progressive and, and representative of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a downside when you're in the office before and, and running, or not in the office, but in uh, a federal office, running for another federal office. That's right. It's something to compare it to. That's a good point. Um, you know, I know is the, the, part of the cred,
1: I think Bernie sort of kicked this off, is the small donations, but lots of them. Right. And Ben's making that point here, too, where he's got, where to it go here? Have, uh, 2029, 20, $20.29 $20. is the average, and that 98.25 of the contributions were $100 or less. Is that necessarily a cred thing for progressiveness and all that kind of thing? Is that the case he's trying to make here? It's not just the million total.
4: Yes, I Mm -hmm. I think it's important for anybody running for office nowadays because it shows that you're not beholden to special interests.
1: Gotcha.
4: Um, And I think another point in his fundraising is that it was from all 33 counties of New Mexico.
1: Yes, he did. Because
4: one of the points is that he's a third congressional district guy, obviously. He's Mm -hmm. from Nambe. So he is more in the northern part of the state and the population centers in Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, Maggie Toos Oliver's home. So you have to think about I want everyone to know me. So if I'm getting money from all over the state and it's small money, that's right. grassroots support. Right. Because he's identified, obviously, with Nancy Pelosi, who was his mentor in the House. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in line to become Speaker of the House. That's right. I don't even think that in New Mexico we get right. how high he flew. That's right. He was among the people who helped the House become Democratic again. That's
1: right. He was, he was in charge the, of those races. Yes, Sorry, he was I didn't he mean in charge of those there. races. Mm-hmm.
4: So he is a guy who decided, I don't care for this power Whether it was because the House is getting more progressive, too, and he thought that would be a handicap, or whether he just got tired of raising money every two years, right? and he chose to go to the Senate, Mm -hmm. so now he's got to take the legacy of Pelosi, but also the burden. Because a lot of New Mexico Democrats don't like her. Fair enough. So, you know, we'll see how he does. He's going to show he's a man of the people.
1: Interesting points there. I appreciated that. You know, th- I'm back to this million dollars thing sure. and how early he announced it and all that. What's the next move for Maggie Toulouse-Oliver? Because if she shows in the deadline on the 15th, does she have to get close? Does she have to be half there? What's the number for her? Well, I, she's I mean, competitive. this is a
3: little bit of Schrodinger's cat, right? Because yeah. the, the deadline has passed right. for for, you know, closing the books essentially on that Mm -hmm. fundraising cycle. So she has what she has. And so it's a matter of what messaging is going to come out around that number, Mm -hmm. when she releases, et cetera. I think think for Ben Ray Lujan, um, putting that dollar amount out there right at that first deadline, Mm -hmm. really um, with that million dollar amount being Mm -hmm. really sort of record setting um, for an off-cycle election. Mm I mean, I just think it's a very very powerful play that he just made with that money, and probably anything that Maggie comes with is going to look diminished next to it. Um, So that, um, you know, that is, I think, is going to be a challenge in her messaging.
1: Interesting point there. You know, Dan, we sat here on the table a couple of weeks ago when the president was here, uh, feeling that he can pick up this state. Is there something different about, if you're running for the Democratic primary stuff now, are you having to think about this presidential thing? It, it, how does it fit into your planning? How does it fit into your well, messaging? Well, I think it fits
0: in because, as we said back then, at that time, I think yeah. the president could win the state. I don't think he could win the state today. Okay. I mean, I think this. I think a lot the of things happen. Yeah, I think the here. president goes from, man, I think everybody loves him and there's a real opportunity for it, to mm-hmm. the guy's. I don't know if he'll get any votes in New Mexico. So I think it puts Ben Ray on a tough.
3: He'll
0: get some. It puts people like Ben Ray in a tough deal, right? Where Maggie gets the opportunity to sit out and say, "Say, well, I would have done this, or I would have done that." He still has to balance what he's telling people he's going to do as a U.S. senator with what he's actually having to do gotcha. as a congressman. Gotcha. But I think it's also clear that having run all those national races and raised all that national money, you know, it'd be interesting to see if someone breaks this down and looks at the contributions, you know, because of the way things are worded now, mm. you know, it's people rarely get... Big donations from, like, on our side from the NRA. The NRA encourages its members right. to give you money so That's that you right. could go out and say, "Oh, I raised a million dollars at ten dollar increments, but it came from you know two hundred thousand people across the country." Right. Clearly, and I know who my bundlers are right. So clearly, yeah. Clearly, yeah. clearly, Ben, clearly Congressman Luhan has the luxury of having that. You know, having run those races, right. there's probably not a money tree that he hasn't touched. Which. Maggie's going to be limited to. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. It's always so much Democrat, right, Democratic. Well, money I can't imagine yeah. going out of the state mm-hmm. and saying, hey, listen, Gene, I am a state uh, secretary of state in New Mexico, and I'm running against that guy over there who's the number two in the House in Congress and ran all the races. You should give me to me instead of to him. Gotcha. It ain't going to happen. That's a tough one. Real quick before we get out of here, uh,
1: on the Republican side, uh, picking up on that theme about the president thinking he can do something here. Well, the two leading candidates for, this, for the Republican side of the Senate ticket. Lost, both lost the last cycle. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's a question of fate accompli. I mean, what's going on here? It, it, should folks just start giving this thing to Ben Ray Lujan? People don't want to do well, that. Certainly, that there's,
5: there's sort of a, a narrative from Republicans or, or, or anybody not on the left that's saying they're waiting for that pendulum to swing back the other direction. Right. Um, I think 2016 was, and even 18 was not not great years for for the two people you're talking about. Um, and I think they're hoping things will change this time around, mm-hmm. that uh, this impeachment thing's gonna go sideways and then right. it's gonna boost the president's ratings. That's and, right. Yeah, so. We'll I mean, see how that goes.
1: We have to take a break. We'll be back with this group in a few minutes. But up first, next Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day in New Mexico officially. We'll look at its significance.
5: I did notice that um, a lot of uh, the, the lawmakers they spoke to said we kinda wanna look at it first. A
1: lot of quotes we, that yeah, way. Yeah. 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 So, but there weren't um, many no's or any no's that I read. You know what I mean? So, yeah,
5: the, there is, a. I think, a problem sometimes when you lump a lot of stuff together in these right. omnibus-type bills, it's more opportunities for what they call the, the poison pill, right, where um, remember that the governor can't line-item veto bills anymore except unless it's a budget thing. So right. if there's just one thing in there that she doesn't like, it, the whole thing could mm-hmm. go away.
1: On Monday, New Mexico will celebrate the contributions of indigenous people to the state, Earlier this year, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed a bill to officially replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. New Mexico has joined a handful of states to scrap the federal observance, which Native people say represents genocide, and instead choose to celebrate tribal cultures. Our state is home to more than 200,000 Native Americans from not only the state's 23 Native nations, but from other tribes as well. NMIF correspondent Antonia Gonzalez sits down with three people who embrace and share their Native culture as we look ahead to the inaugural New Mexico holiday.
9: Joining me now are Jalen Atzi, founder of Rock Your Mox, Emmett Schimmy Garcia, a storyteller, educator, and musician, and hip-hop artist Defy. Welcome to New Mexico PBS.
6: Hi, thank you for having us.
9: Thank
6: you. Thank you. Thank you.
9: And New Mexico is prepared to celebrate the first official Indigenous Peoples' A holiday, Jaylen. Let's start with you. What are you? How are you going to celebrate? I will actually be at work, um, but I
10: feel I celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day through my work. Um, I work with youth from 18 to 25, and um, through con- we do conservation work, uh, thinning with chainsaws, uh, trail restoration, um, cultural preservation. So we work with the National Forest Service, uh, National Park Service, um, and so I feel that. We are steward- steward- stewardess of the land, so I feel we're celebrating that way.
9: And uh, Shkimi, how about
10: you?
6: Well, Indigenous Peoples' Day to me really represents um, enlightening our the country on who we are as modern Indigenous people, our history, and where we're going. I think it's really important, and I'm excited about it, that our state is celebrating the um, very first Indigenous Peoples' Day because, it gives us an opportunity to create awareness, uh, discussion, uh, not only with school children but um, the rest of uh, America and who we are and our contributions to this country.
9: And Defy, mm. how are you going to celebrate?
11: I will be in New York City performing alongside many other indigenous brothers and sisters um, on Indigenous Peoples Day. I'm very excited, but very also happy to be here.
9: And Gimme, uh, you had mentioned the education part about mm-hmm. it and a lot of work that people do here in New Mexico is the educating. You're a storyteller, mm-hmm. educator, musician. And so part of your work is educating both the native and non-native community. Why is that important?
6: Well, I, I feel uh, as a storyteller, um, well, storytelling traditionally is just sharing information um, about oral, oral history, because many uh, tribal histories aren't written. And so through storytelling, we're able to share uh, where we came from, where we came into the world, and how we eventually ended up where we are at now, uh, then also through the the animal stories, which are the fun stories, but there's also a message of uh, empowerment, how to sh- how to share, how to treat each other respectfully, and then there's the um, the stories of um, who we are, traditions and culture, songs and heroic legends of how our people survived, uh, such as the Pueblo Revolt. But anyway, they. During storytelling, it gives me an opportunity to share, as I call it, um, educate one person at a time and, and share in who we are as Pueblo people. And most of the history I share is from a Pueblo perspective, being that I'm a, a tribal member of the Pueblo of and also Jemez. I'm able to share um, that story of how we survived and what um, contributions to the state so I always take time for a question and answer uh, from whatever audience I share stories with whether it be at a resort on my homelands or within in schools uh, but I think it's really just important just to for all of us to to um, to to educate um, through whatever work, as Jalen said, through conservation work, uh, through storytelling, through hip hop, however, however it may be, we all just chipped in and were able to um, educate. I think that'll be our celebration of indigenous people's day and, and celebration. Yeah.
9: And uh, Jaylen you embraced your native pride. you created Rock Your Mocks, which is coming up in November. Why did you decide to do that?
10: I just wanted to show uh, cultural awareness to those who don't, you know, there's so much diversity within our own culture that I feel that, um, you know, when you put your moccasins on, you automatically become an ambassador for your people because people are going to ask you questions like, what are those, Um, and you can tell them, you know, depending what part of the region you're from, you know, um, it goes back to what kind of animal they are, your moccasins, Um, I just feel that, you know, people
9: need to be educated about our culture, too. And Defy as a MC producer, beatmaker, you do a lot of work with communities too. Why is it important for especially youth to embrace their native identity, their native culture, and celebrate?
11: I feel like it's very important for youth to celebrate their uh, retaining their cultural identity. For me as a hip hop artist, uh, I come from a cultural standpoint, I'm a Dene nation. I'm from the Dene Nation, but also hip hop is my second culture, so to speak, and so. Coming from, I guess you would say, been in these two different worlds, a lot of times um, indigenous youth kind of, we deal with a lot of adversities um, in rural communities, also in urban communities. And I encourage youth to follow their passions, but also retain their cultural identity through hip hop as well.
9: What about dispelling um, stereotypes? Like, what are some of the questions that you get answered or asked and you answer?
6: Oh my gosh, I could write a whole book on that. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of, um, like I said, storytelling on, um, on diverse audiences. Sometimes I have um, like CEOs of companies and they say, tell these stories to these, these people that have no knowledge or even care about who Native people are, what we went through. I uh, just don't, uh, and almost feel like a sense of guilt, but they don't wanna even deal with it and just kind of, and and their only knowledge of wh- who Native Americans are from Hollywood, what they saw on TV. Um, uh, and so it's like, oh my gosh, I have so much work ahead of me. And so when I approach a lot of these audiences, I hear everything from, I'll say, in our village is right there across the river and I've heard everyone say, oh. Uh, I can see the the wood smoke coming from your fire, your fires, or they 'll say recently the the latest one was um oh we 're going to learn to rain dance, and so it takes all the effort for me to not get angry about it and not think of it as being an attack on me or people. I always just try to take the high road and try to educate and try to remain calm and just know that i 'm going to have to um, educate these people uh, one by one and so um, by dispelling the stere- stereotypes, I think really it's just a uh, on the ground community effort. It's just, like I said, educating one person at a time and just trying our best just to, um, through uh, work like hip hop or, or whatever it may be, um, uh, your work, um, doing what we're doing here is is, 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 is um, dispelling those stereotypes by us just being here and being able to have a voice to talk about. Um, our who we are as American people, Native Americans.
9: And if I are shaking your head about dispelling stereotypes, how do you see that? Or how do you do that in the work that you do?
6: Yeah, uh,
11: I feel like I just wanna kick a verse to answer that question, or at least share some some of my work, but.
9: Yeah, sure, go ahead.
11: Okay, peace to all my tribe people, dark-skinned fly eagle, five-fingered being breathing, keep your minds peaceful. Couldn't afford the jewel in 1944 when the 4th of June Boarding school while in a boarding school Forced to move, got chores and more sports in a dorm But only one course of food Fire chief kept the wood burning before morning outside the outhouse early at 440. Past the sheep rug on the floor by the door when the dormitory escaped through the corridors and explore with my war pony. Here to take it back home cause y'all know the res do Scrub the resin off your faces and scrape away the residue. Peep my resume like beams our people resonate. We're resolute, sacred, and stoic. Able to cope with all the pain that we soak in. The next generation's awoken. But before this reservation was our home, you know the nation was stolen. Minnesota Lodge seeing a vision. It's like I'm back out the womb dreaming of Grandmother Moon in a fetal position.
9: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And uh, Jaylen, um, working with youth, they probably would, you know, understand what Defy is talking about in his lyrics and working with the youth and talking about dis- dispelling stereotypes. With culture changing, how do you see yourself still holding tight to your native culture but also um, working? Um, in the everyday life,
10: I think it's um, I guess in sense of balancing both. Um, I stay very active in my uh, culture and tradition back home, just uh, so that I can have that little bit of peace to you know pass on to my niece who is nine. Um, you know, she sees me doing those things, and you know, she tells me she wants to be like me someday. As far as dancing, um, you know, she wants uh, like even as far as our clothes. Like I can't wait to let's. You know we our clothes that we dance with she's like i can't wait to go get a new pattern for a new dress so i can dance uh just things like that and then um balancing you know with the modern society it's kind of like um uh that's why i chose the job i did um is to you know i was always taught to come home or to go out and then when i come home teach what i taught or what i was taught to you know the youth and that's what i do through my job which is conservation work and um so we talk about how we balance those things also, um, you know, what's going on in our communities and, you know, try to have uh, that, bring that conversation to the table. Um, and when, so when they go back, um, they have a piece of knowledge that they learned also with, you know, conservation that they can take back. And it's just, it just
9: intertwines in that way, um, uh, having those conversations. And um, sh- give me as somebody who lives the same life as both you know doing your traditional um lifestyle and your communities but also with your work as a storyteller and musician and all the other events you do um add to what jaylin's saying
6: yeah it's true um there's that there's that notion that we live in two worlds and yeah i know we have our mainstream life we have our jobs we have our work um and then we have our cultural life and um But sometimes I like to think of it as one world, (laughs) like we bring our culture and identity and our language into everything we do. It doesn't matter where we go, where we take our people with us. Uh, We're not always alone. And so I think of it as um, uh, when I'm out there performing, whether it's with Native Roots or it's with um, storytelling and, oh gosh, got so many other things we do, everything, I've chosen to do is based on this one question, is um, enlightening people about who we are, and who we are as modern people, and what our struggles have been. So my daily life, every day, in creating legends, and writing lyrics, and um, um, writing books, um, constantly thinking of uh, what kinds of discussions we can have. Sharing uh, who we are is very important to me. In fact, my whole life is centered around um, indigeneity, around education. And so um, I get chosen a lot to go to schools or do presentations on, on this kind of discussion. And um, like I said, I hear, I've heard it all. And it, as I hear new things, it helps me to constantly think about how I can approach certain questions, and I'll do research, I'll Google. Um, I'm kind of a self-proclaimed historian, so I'm always reading up on new history about different tribes, and 500-some odd tribes, and every single one has a different story. <laughs> and so it's it's really um, fascinating to me to learn so much about who we are as Native people.
9: And so what if the um, general public watching this, if they want to learn about tribes here in New Mexico, just real quick, where can they start? Or how should they start in a respectful manner?
6: I know it's hard because everyone has a history in this country, not only Native Americans, but um, recently, um, yesterday, we were at the Balloon Fiesta and this lady came up with these three little blonde girls and she said, um, she said, what are, what are these dances represent? And they were, and they were doing eagle dances. And then at first I was a bit turned off. I was just like, well, it's, isn't it obvious they're doing the eagle dance? Yeah, but what does this mean? And I was kind of a bit standoffish. I said, well, it's blessings for all. And then, and then she kind of had a look like, I'm not getting any information out of this person. And then she said, well, I'm, ans- I'm asking this question for my children these little ones, and they had these little bright eyes, and they were looking at me like they just wanted to know. And I said, oh my gosh, this is my chance to educate. So I said, okay, so the eagle, and I went on the whole tangent about how eagles are important to our people, how they fly highest in the sky, they're a national bird, um, how we are the only two able to possess eagle feathers, how they're taken care of. I went on this Ten-minute discussion with these little kids, and they were just eating it up. And she goes, "Thank you. This is how I educate my kids: is by having them come and understand." And so I'm, "Thank you, thank you for um, taking this time to talk with them." And at first, I didn't, you know, my standard for most natives is, "Don't ask me nothing." You know, I don't want to tell you anything about who we are or what we do. But then again, on the other perspective is. Well, then how will they know, right. <laughs> you know? And so that continuation of stereo, stereotyping continues. So I, that's why I said, if you just take that time to have that discussion and share openly, then perhaps it'll open another child's mind.
9: Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today and to the first Indigenous official Indigenous Peoples Day here in New Mexico. Perfect. And I want to turn it to Defy to end us with some lyrics.
11: My natives, if you're really dedicated and creative, you can make it out of reservation. Lessons from the sacred, blessed and educated. Preservation of wisdom, ancient, encrypted, and, and inner vision. It was written verbatim, but they can't alter natives with alternatives and ultimatums. They say our culture's dated. Try to help our own while our own have hated on our own that made it out the home invaded. Feeling like there's no escaping, still I'm on the road to make it. Cultivate a, your skill and your will to stay motivated. I can see the ocean waving, keep going and know you'll make it. Rolling on the road of pavement. PBS, Res life could be problematic and cause some static. If you caught up in the madness with alcoholic habits, a lot of addicts out of balance and dealing with the loss is tragic and traumatic. Am I what you call a savage? I reppin' for my reservation, every nation. We gotta make it better for generation. Regenerated together, no separation. Or are we really headed for a desolation? My tribe and village survived the pillage. They tried to kill us, but time will heal us alive. And we cry no rivers. They arrived at Plymouth disguised as pilgrims. We tried to give it supply to spinach, but they lied like villains. I'm building for the lives of spirits. Open your minds with lyrics. I wrote a rhyme, the lies are finished. I wanna see my natives own their own business. Overthrow the system, roll and go the distance. North Dakota living, breaking borders and the limits. I'm ignoring all your critics. We are more than just exhibits. Pouring out these lyrics like ceremonial ashes. Praying for a home with no territorial clashes. Won't abandon my band, of bandits. my fam is savage from a land that's lavish. Had to get it the way we knew it and made a movement. Thanking the creator for music, I'm staying rooted sacred like an ancient ruin. prayer therapeutic reclaim our future we are faces of the muted powwow in the white house in the power outer so we're wilding with the lights out spitting on this mic loud feeling proud in my light brown skin may our culture and traditions never dry out the president is a puppet and public it really running the government they cover up and cut it like budgets so corrupted thank you
1: New Mexico will celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday, October 14th. And now on to our final topic with the Line Opinion Panel. Think New Mexico, the Santa Fe-based think tank, has a plan to pull our state out of its ranking as third in the nation for senior citizens living in poverty. It released a report proposing several legislative actions that could help New Mexico retirees and thereby all New Mexicans when you really think, think about it, Andy. This is an effort that in its infancy at least is in some cohesive form. Fred Nathan's think New Mexico Group is advancing, but these ideas—pension reform, uh, Social Security, state-sponsored retirement accounts—these have all been around for a while, but they've never passed. Is it different now that we're gonna? I'm gonna cu- parse all these out in a mm-hmm. second. You feel like it has a better chance if we kind of lump all these together with this idea?
5: Uh, it's I, I don't I don't know. It's really really hard to say. I yeah. think um, uh, Nathan is Fred Nathan is a very respected person in the in the legislature, and mm-hmm. I think. Um, his his research and studies that they do are are, mm-hmm. are taken seriously. Um, I I did notice that um, a lot of uh, the the lawmakers they spoke to said we kind of want to look at it first. A lot
1: of we, quotes yeah, that way. Yeah. yeah. So, but there weren't um, many no's or any no's that I read, you know what I mean? Saying, yeah,
5: the, there is, a. I think, a problem sometimes when you lump a lot of stuff together in these right. omnibus-type bills, it's more opportunities for what they call the the poison pill, right, where um, remember that the governor can't line-item veto bills anymore except unless it's a budget thing. So right. if there's just one thing in there that she doesn't like, it, the whole thing could mm-hmm. go away. Let's talk about one thing that's uh, interesting on this proposal, and that is removing the
1: tax on Social Security benefits very interesting that's been around for a while, a very simple premise here, Keeping more money in the pockets of people who earned it over the years, basically. Your thought of that and its possibilities in the Senate. Uh, I'm sorry, in our legislature.
4: Well, a, a movement. as someone who saw her mother, you know, live on Social Security and not have very much, I know a lot of old people who uh, would appreciate that. That's right. And you've already paid taxes on it once. That's right. And I think, you know, the beauty of oil and gas producing so much money right now is we have the opportunity mm. to forego some money. And I think they were thinking it's about 75 million or so mm-hmm if they don't tax retirees. So you do that, you don't have that money coming in, but mm-hmm. you're not hurting, at least at this point. Right. And by the time you would be hurting, maybe retirees will be moving here because it's a cheaper place to live. That's right. So this is a way to market. New Mexico is a great place to come in your golden years. That's
1: right. It's interesting, isn't it? When you mm-hmm. think about, you know, money's tight for a lot of our seniors, it's very interesting. And so the other, one of the other ideas under the proposal uh, is private businesses offering retirement accounts uh, uh, or private entities offering retirement accounts, because frankly, it, by Fred's numbers, three quarters of us work in entities that don't have access to work-related and retirement accounts. And I will say accounts.
3: that that's one of the sort of shocking numbers in this report that right. I thought was I thought was really. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, right? Mm-hmm. But but. Um, so many people in New Mexico, Social Security is going to be the only thing, that's right. right, or or yep. close to the only thing, mm-hmm. and so the idea that you could—it's—I mean—it's sort of a an quasi-free market solution because it it would, to a certain extent, have have um, mm-hmm. government government inter- interaction or government management. Sure. But um, I think that idea that you could invest in pensions, that it would be taken automatically out of your payroll, mm-hmm. um, that that—that's something that that employers could participate in and it would give them some small tax advantage or I'm sorry regulatory advantage. Um, So I think that's really interesting. One of the things that though as well I talked about sort of shocking figures Not too long ago, I think it was John Oliver was talking about the aging Chinese population. We've heard about the aging Japanese population. Hearing that roughly 20% of New Mexicans are in that senior citizen range um, and comparing that to the numbers that John Oliver talked about recently was just like, um, wow, we're getting old. Not just personally. That's right. Um,
1: but is Fred but demog- Nathan on to something here, I mean, people are talking about this tsunami here, the aging boom right. tsunami here from the states. So for a we, while. Look the,
3: we look at we look at the aging population, as, as Inez just said, as a as a market opportunity. Right. We right. want seniors to move here and spend their money here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means that as this population gets older as a proportion of the workforce we're going to have fewer mm-hmm. people putting money into the pensions and so so the fact that our state pension system is so Woefully underfunded at That's this right. point. That's right. Um, th- this proposal also would put about seven hundred million dollars into
1: pick that. up on that. If in you, I'm that. so glad Sophie brought that up. The idea. This seems like it could be sticky in the legislature. This bit right here, taking seven hundred million out of those things to shore up these the public employees' retirement association, their education, just all that stuff. We are deep in red on this. What are the chances the legislature is going to see this as a fix? Well, I mean, the legislature
0: has to fix that pension stuff at some point. Yeah. At some point.
3: It's the at some point part. Yeah. Right. right. at some (laughs) point part. But,
0: you know, I mean, you start talking about a billion dollars. And Fred does this all the time. Fred Mm -hmm. comes in with these grandiose big ideas. And at the end of the day, he's really good at taking credit for, you know, this big idea becomes this one bill and they get Mm -hmm. something done. Mm -hmm. Um, And and he does good. He does a lot of good things. I I would argue that, you know, you got to be careful to play devil's advocate. You know, we keep talking about all the retirees there's a lot of people that aren't that excited about the retirees moving here. It's hard to get bond issues passed to fix schools. It's hard to get things done to right. fix roads right. because they come in and they say, listen, we've done all of I'm our all stuff. That's they, right. They're not real big on spending a lot of money. You know, they, they, I mean, there's just a and lot they of things.
3: a And they already have a doctor and they vote. vote. Yeah. And, right. and
0: and to, to the one extent yeah. that I think we as Republicans see is, They tend, a lot of them tend to be conservative Republicans more than liberal Democrats, and they'll stand in line. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, everybody keeps seeing all these, I think where you're gonna see a lot of the rural legislators are gonna give some pushback on this, is that's where the problem is, right? Like I know, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a little town of Cloudcroft, and you know, it takes nine people to elect someone to the school board. It takes 12 to elect them to city council. Mm -hmm. You get seven retirees that move in and they're angry, they're now in charge of everything. And a lot of these smaller rural towns are like, yeah, we're not we're not real keen on this. And so, you know, I think when the state says we're gonna go out and do all these legislative actions to attract retirees, I think there's a lot of rural parts in New Mexico that are like, we're good with the retirees we got. We don't need we don't need people moving in from out of state that are wanna just, just just come in here to retire. So mm-hmm. I think you're gonna run into that kind of behind the scenes fighting where there's certain places that are for them, um, certain places that are that want to attract retirees, but there's a lot of places in the state. I think if you start talking to the local folks, not real excited. That's actually fascinating. That's interesting. Andy, last point
1: here uh, Fred, Fred Nathan's also proposing, as part of these retirement boards, better qualifications for those who sit on the oversight of these boards. That's interesting for like him a theme to be making. Today. Right, exactly. Well, I, I mean, that's been out there for a while, too. We want better qualifications,
0: to, but we keep talking every week about losing our best and brightest kids from the state. So that's right. Where are we going to get these qualified people? That's teams? right. It's a um, tough yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. That? yeah.
5: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, look, I think a lot of this is still early in, yep. in the stages, and um, I would not be surprised if in 30 days, 60 days, a lot of this stuff gets moved around. Right. I'm not saying that Fred Nathan's Individual going to change, bills, his, right. change his stance <laughs> okay. on stuff, but yeah. as people start reading into this, they're going to bring up other concerns and say there's also the a, a, same with, with PRC that we talked about earlier. Is That's right. Um, what are the qualifications, right? Right. Where do you, right? Where do you say, and, and if it's supposed to be representative of the people, where do, how do you, you say, no, you're not qualified? This big That's bill right. will come out of That's this right. session That's as right. a
0: memorial is mm-hmm. what it'll come out, and mm-hmm. then they'll do an investigation to go into the 60-day. Right, interesting
1: point there. We're out of time for the topic, and for the week, we're always chatting about something on social media, certainly me. Find us on Facebook by searching New Mexico in Focus. Thank you all for coming in this week. Good stuff. Thanks again to you, our loyal viewers, for joining us and for always staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus.
9: Funding
0: for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and the Dnieper Natural History Programming Fund for KNME-TV. And viewers like you.